0: for a little loop, but I want to welcome everybody to BibleQuest.tv. Today's Tuesday afternoon. We're so glad you're here. We have a very interesting discussion that's going to be going on in a minute. I'd like to uh, bring the panelists in. Hi, Stephen. I heard your voice. I see you now. How are you doing?
1: Doing well, Drew. How are you doing?
0: Doing very good. Scott Smelter down there in Exton. no, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Hi, Scott.
2: That's right.
0: And Stephen, I didn't make... I didn't mention it, Stephen. You're from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. That's correct. Drew, and Jeff is from Exton. How you doing, Jeff?
2: Good. When's your birthday? Whose? Yours. Uh,
0: January
2: 11th. Okay. Maybe January 11th. We'll give you a map of Pennsylvania, show you where we actually are. Oh,
0: all right. There we go. Yeah, I'm still a newbie here to Pennsylvania. Loving and living here, but I'm still a newbie. I'm still used to living in that little tiny state, New Jersey. and yeah. You can't get around this state like I was able to get around in New Jersey. Anyway, glad everybody's here. I'm digressing. Um, If you're coming in from the Zoom app, hit the Q&A button at the top and you enter your text or text in your questions, or you can actually hit the hand button, raise your hand, and we'll bring you on audio if you want to do that. Um, and Stephen, explain, you don't have to explain, everyone that's on Facebook knows how to do the comments over there on Stephen's Facebook page. We're very happy you're all here. But I do want to encourage you, give us your questions, give us your comments. This is a dialogue, a discussion with us here on the program. Now, so what are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to talk about how the King James Version is the superior translation as some argue, as
1: some argue, <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, here we go, Drew. Here we go.
0: <laughs> okay. Is it the superior translation? Which one is Scott, you want to take it away?
2: Oh, yeah. And that's, to be fair to the King James, let's point out some things that were really, really good about the King James translation because it's not that the King James is a bad translation. It's a good translation, But there are people who claim that the only Bible you should have is a King James, which I don't even know how that argument works in the non-English speaking world. (laughs) You know, imagine Filipino and Chinese and German brethren, you know, in on this. So, what do you think? Is the English 1611 the only Bible you can use? Hey, hey! Let me just let me interject there. If we have anyone in the audience who believes that the King James version is the only truly inspired or authorized or whatever you want to call it version that we should be using, that is, uh, what do you say about people who don't speak English? That that would be something you could maybe chime in here. Send us a time for them to learn English. English. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'd be interested in hearing that as well. So what what really stands out as valuable uh, about the King James Bible as a translation? It's in English. <laughs> yeah, it is in English. wasn't the first English Bible. No. No. Now, what were some of the ones that predated it? Was it
0: Tyndall before that
2: one? Tyndall was way earlier. Um, the Great Bible? The Great Bible, the Geneva Bible, Matthew's Bible. Um, And how how many of us have read the translator's introduction in the King James Bible? Skimmed it. It's really, really interesting. It begins with the words like, Zeal to promote the common good is often received, and I don't remember the rest of the quote, but badly instead of well. Because they're being attacked because there was already the great Bible, the Geneva Bible, and since they're doing a new translation in English, people were saying, wait, in other words, there were critics who viewed the King James Bible as being modern, and why do we need a modern translation? Why do we need a new one? And the translators were pointing out, we're not saying you didn't have scripture before, but if you can improve the translation, why not do that? And and they're right. And so how would those men have viewed other people as we learn more about Greek words or get more ancient Greek texts and such and improve translation? How would men of that mind have viewed later revisions?
0: Well, if they were true, if they were true to their concept, they would say, well, that's good. Let's look at the more. So I
2: would like to begin with just a very short illustration. I read it in the book. I don't remember who wrote it, but he, he gave the illustration like this. Let's suppose your father passed away in France and he dictated a letter to you, you know, from his deathbed, but it's written in French. You don't speak French. What do you want to do?
1: Call my friend who speaks French or get a translation. Yeah, And if
2: there's some really deep points in the letter and some really important, important detailed things, would you maybe want to have more than one person translate to make sure you're getting a good translation? Yeah. But at any point, should you pick out one of those translations and assume it's the beginning point and anything's wrong if it doesn't agree with that translation, you wouldn't do that, would you? No. Instead, no. you recognize what's the thing, what's the important thing there? What your father said to you? And so you're realizing that these various translations are tools to help you get back that. And that's just a good approach of how to look at translations. Thoughts or comments on that? And then anybody start taking discussion. With before, before we go on, I just did a quick search to find out what the King James Version only people say about the Bible in other languages? And here are some quotes from some people who believe the King James Version is the only true, accurate version. Let me guess. I haven't looked this up, but I'm going to guess. Uh huh. They should start with the King James Bible and translate it into their language. That's right. That's That's right. Yeah. So here's uh, somebody named Peter. (laughs) The only living Bible on earth today is the authorized version, 1611. That's the KJV. Or translations made from it. Here's a guy named Brian Donovan. Any effort to translate the Bible into other languages will be right if it comes from the KJV. And wrong when it does not. It is that simple. And here's Gail Ripplinger. Because the KJV is a precise and contextual accurate translation. Thousands of foreign language translations were subsequently made directly from it. And Roy Branson, from the KJV, the Bible had been translated into a multitude of other languages, thus making it the Bible God had used to reach the world. And then, uh, question, if there's a perfect Bible in English, doesn't there also have to be a perfect Bible in French and German and Japanese, etc.? Answer, No. God has always given His Word to one people in one language to do one job: convert the world. The wow. supposition there must be a perfect translation in every language is erroneous and inconsistent with God's proven practice. When in Mexico, I tell people that the Word of God is preserved in English as the KJV 16:11. The best bet would be to learn English. <laughs> a translation, a translation of the KJV in the Spanish would be great but would be subject to those who learned English returning to the English to clarify the Spanish because the Spanish KJV would only be a translation of the preserved text. This reminds me of one time I saw a thing. There's a verse, maybe one of y'all remember where it is. It's in the old Testament. Your word is like silver purified seven times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's in the science. So it said, so the first time was Hebrew, then Aramaic, (laughs) then Greek, then Latin and then Wycliffe and then maybe Tyndale or the Great Bible and then the King James. Oh. And so the King James is actually more pure and perfect than the original in that view. Wow. That, oh that... this is hard.
1: Okay, so, so I will say though one thing uh when you're talking about this question of what uh other language would be the proper translation. It really depends because when someone is defending the King James Bible, they could be defending one of several things. Yep. They could be defending the King James English translation, they could be defending what's called the Textus Receptus, which is the Greek text on which the King James was based, or they could be defending the majority text.
2: Good distinction.
1: And if Uh, Take, for instance, in Spanish, Uh, if it's someone who's not just defending the English King James version, but they're defending the Texas Receptus, then they would want the Reina Valera. That's the Spanish equivalent of the King James version in that it's based on those Greek manuscripts. And so, again, you're going to get Look on the Internet. I'm sure you'll find a whole wide range of people defending the King James 1611 or the Greek text on which the King James and other translations as well were based. So, so that let's, may be a helpful distinction.
2: Yeah, so let's talk just a little bit about that, that distinction, going back to the idea of the majority text, which is a, a little bit of a misnomer. That makes it sound like, well, we'll, we'll let's get to that. Let me uh, share my screen here. If I can uh, get this started, Slideshow, show, slide, boom. And I hope when I come up, my second monitor is not working very well, so when I bring this up, you guys will have to tell me if it's showing properly. Uh, do you see a chart um yes yes all right that's good but i can't see it which means i can't work with it so let me see i'm gonna have to drew you're not gonna like this but i'm gonna have to not use second screen and so let me do this over sorry about this tell you what give me a second give come back to me and just while you're do doing that i'll make a couple of comments so Basically, sometimes people talk about the Byzantine text, Textus Receptus, majority text, as if they're the same thing. They're not exactly the same thing. They're generally the same in the same ballpark. And what that is, is that uh, Greek manuscripts, uh, a lot of them from, say, the 10 hundreds, 11 hundreds, 12 hundreds, and after, there is very many of them and uh, they tend to have some similar readings where there's variations. By the way, when we talk about variations, we need to understand how trivial most of the variations are. Like if you look at the first half of chapter of Romans, uh, you look at all these different manuscripts on Romans and you'll have a few variations. Like this verse will have the article, the, the Greek equivalent of it, and that manuscript won't. This one will spell David for the son of David, David. Another one we'll spell it David. Though most of the differences are like that. Uh, but go ahead, Jeff. All it. right. So what this chart shows is the ancient manuscripts, and by manuscripts we mean handmade copies uh, of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So John wrote the Gospel of John. Paul wrote First Corinthians. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts. And then people started making copies of those, and people started making copies of the copies. And today, there are thousands of copies. Not all of them contain huge portions of the scriptures. A few of them contain the whole New Testament or the whole Bible. Um, in terms of the New Testament, many of them contain just fragments, many of them contain maybe one letter or two letters. But counting all of those up, there are thousands. Of them, whether they're little pieces or whether they're extensive um, of, of the New Testament manuscripts. This chart shows how many are in existence today from each of the first 19 centuries. So, for example, from the 12th century right here, there are 586 manuscripts that exist today. Now, I put this chart together years ago. This is out of date now. That number's probably gone up by now. But when I put this chart together, there would have been 436 manuscripts in existence that originated from the 11th century. All of them being copies of what was originally written back in the first century, but of course, sometimes there have been a few generations of copies. In other words, copies of copies of copies. In the 1600s, in the early 1600s, when the King James Version was being made, We didn't have, people didn't have access to these oldest manuscripts like back in the third century, where today we have 34, or when I made this chart, there were 34 manuscripts from the third century of the New Testament. They didn't have access to those back when the King James was made. So, whoops, where's the, I got, I'm not in the page I thought it was. Let me get past all of this and come back to that chart. Looks like Greek to me. Right, here, we go. here we go. While you're finding it. I got it. Go <laughs> ahead. Okay. Um, and so uh, up until the time of the printing press, the Roman Catholic Church had Bibles in Latin translated by Jerome. So they're not even reading the Greek. Yeah. They're reading Jerome's the Latin translation. Along comes a, a, Gutenberg's, Vince the printing press. The Bible is the first book printed on it. Um, but then a few years after that, Erasmus, for scholars' sake, decides to print the New Testament in Greek. And so he looks at, oh, maybe a dozen at most manuscripts. He's looking at actual manuscripts. He's looking of the from the chart here at up to maybe a dozen of these, but he's mostly using six of them. Yeah, one of his was old. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, a half dozen. He really is working with a half dozen manuscripts. Yeah, the ones that he's really using are, is about half a dozen. And one of them is old, Codex Beza, from, if I remember correctly, the 5th century. But he doesn't really use it much. Mostly he's using them from, it's either the 10th and 11th century or the 11th and 12th century. I guess, probably, do you remember which it is, Jeff? It's in that ballpark. Yeah. So he's got, that's what he's got to work with and he prints the New Testament in Greek. This was a great, great service to the world and and to biblical study, and it's wonderful. But it was limited. None of the copies that he had of the book of Revelation had the last several verses. They were missing in those manuscripts. Sometimes manuscripts are damaged. So to fill in the end of the book of Revelation, he had to take the Vulgate, the Latin Vulgate, or Jerome, and back-translate it by looking at the Latin Translate it to Greek and guess it what the original was. Okay, that's the best he could do at that time. Well, other people after him put out editions of the Greek text similar to his. You get down to Stephanus, does it again, and his in a blurb on it, it says, This is the received text, the textus receptus. And it's basically very similar to Erasmus's. That's the Greek text from which the King James translators translated. Yeah. And they did a good job, by and large. There's a few places where they really miss it. For instance, in Proverbs 5, where it's telling a man to be faithful to his wife, and it uses the image of your own well water. You know, drink waters of your own cistern. You know, be with your own wife. Should your streams be distributed in the streets? The King James didn't put it in question form. It said. Let your streams be distributed in the stream.
1: Sure. <laughs> that was an unfortunate place. That yeah, is rather unfortunate.
2: Um, and and there was, e, they threw in Easter in Acts 13, where it says Passover. The Jews' observation is and, talking about the Jews' celebration of the Passover. And for some reason, they threw in the word
1: and, Easter. And I'm pretty sure unicorns made it into Psalm 22. <laughs> yeah, Save wow. me from the horns of the unicorns.
2: So there was a few places here and there where they missed it there, but really they did a admirable job of translating Stephanus's text. Sure. What they had, they did a good job of translating it into English. But let's, let's taking some of what Scott said, that's going to serve as good background to help make the distinction that Stephen referred to a moment ago. There are really several issues here. Some people are about the King James version, meaning this English translation. Some people are about, the Greek text that lies behind the King James Version, and that would be the received text that Scott referred to, or the Textus Receptus, and some people are all about the idea of what's well, got to be the majority text, and what does that mean? Well, okay, so if you look at this, the basis of the King James Version is basically some manuscripts that come from this period of time, for the most part, kind of the 12th through 15th centuries, but not from all of these 586 plus 569 plus 535 plus 248 manuscripts, really from a half dozen of those. Um, whereas today, people are going back and making translations that take into considerations manuscripts from the early centuries, the 3rd, 4th, 5th centuries. So, so here's a question, and the question is, should we be more impressed with the fact that there are hundreds of manuscripts from, from the period of time when the King James uh, manuscript evidence comes, or should we more be, be more impressed with the older manuscripts that lie behind, say, the uh, New American Standard or the English Standard Version and so on? And there are some people who argue older is better And there are other people who argue um, numbers is better. But if you have many, many, many manuscripts, then that in and of itself argues that whatever they say is going to be the more correct reading, even if there's some older manuscripts that say something different. And their argument is basically one of providential, uh, God's providence providing that, um, whatever the most manuscripts say, that's going to be the accurate reading.
1: So basically if I have 20 manuscripts from the 12th and 13th century that say it a certain way in the text, but I have one or two manuscripts from the fifth or sixth century that say it differently, there are some people who are going to say, well, we have more manuscripts that say it this way. That's what it ought that's- to be.
2: That, that's All right, what and other people
1: are saying, "Well, these last these other two are really old; they're closer to the original, mm-hmm. so it should say that."
2: That's what they're saying. That's the argument. So let's illustrate this. Drew's got something there. Okay. Jeff, so wait a minute. You said
0: something that went right over. Fez said that people that claim that say that that's God's providence in bringing this about. Well, if anybody says that, isn't that their opinion, or is that also providence?
2: I'm not sure about the last part. Is that also providence? In other words, how
0: could someone say it's providence that they that this is the way it's going when we so don't that, yeah. have God's mind? We don't. We don't. We can't tell.
2: And if if that if that were correct, then you would also reason from the same logic that well, whatever translation in English is most popular, then you would say that must be the accurate one. Well, in the last several decades, the NIV. Scott, do you have the numbers on the sales? I know that all the no, time, KJB know. is a big seller. But hasn't the NIV outsold the KJB in, in the last part of the 20th century? It, it's, I know it very popular. What'd you say, I'm Steve? glad to see the ESV hopefully taking gains away from that because I don't personally think the NIV is that good. Yeah, but, but you know, the NIV was very popular at the, the latter part. The point is, right. if we're going to start saying, well, whatever most people have, right. that's the accurate thing. Right it's not just whatever most manuscripts people have. It's whatever English translation somebody has, or what if English becomes not the language of the world and there are more Bibles in Chinese than, you know, yeah, Scott. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then should we translate our Bible from a Chinese Bible? Right. Right. Let's illustrate a couple of things here. One, let's illustrate that though, usually this, these later texts here that we see on the screen, they're mostly what would be they're in general, these, are what scholars would call the Byzantine text. Yeah. You can see why it's majority text. It's certainly going to line up with the King James and the received text. But let's give one or two examples just to show that the King James doesn't always follow. Well, let's let, can Jordan we hold text. off on that? Because that gets to the second category. Okay. That gets to this textus receptus, which is okay. a good point. But, but before we leave this idea of the, the so-called majority text, let's make this observation. There is a, There are certain characteristics of these manuscripts that were made during this period of time, as opposed to these manuscripts back here in the early days. One characteristic is that a lot of times you'll have expressions that have a few more words in them in these manuscripts than back in these manuscripts. And I'll give you an example. In Matthew 13, at the end of the telling of the parable of the sower, Jesus says, according to the older manuscripts, it would be, he that hath ears, let him, let him hear. And in the later manuscripts, it's, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now, there are certain passages in the Gospels where all of these passages will have the expression, I think in Mark's account, uh, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Right. But in the older manuscripts, in Matthew's account, it just says, he had, he that hath ears, let him hear. In the later manuscripts, Matthew's account looks like Mark's account. And you can argue that two ways. You can say, well, in the early manuscripts of Matthew, the words to hear dropped out. Or you can argue that in um, in the later manuscripts, Scribes were trying to make Matthew's account look like Mark's account. And since Mark's account said, he that hath ears to hear, then scribes added the words to hear in Matthew's account. And you can debate that as you want. But I, I make that point just to say there are certain tendencies in the later manuscripts yes. that kind of characterize them as different from the early manuscripts. It's a but fuller text. It's a fuller text. But here's the other point, And that is, It's a false proposition that the majority text is monolithic. There are variations between the manuscripts that are made in this period of time. So when we say we want to go with the manuscripts that have the, the most representation, and that's this body of manuscripts that were made in the Middle Ages, well, what what about when they disagree disagree with one another? What are we going to do then? Are you just going to count up? You know, well, I've got ten of this one and twelve of that one. So, and they don't really talk about that. A good way to understand this is by looking at Psalm one forty five. Let me make a distinction here. The chart we're looking at; these are New Testament manuscripts. Correct. Correct. These are this is Greek handwritten Greek uh, handwritten copies of the Greek, right. not the whole Bible. Like one might be the gospels. One might be the letters of Paul. One might be just one book uh, or even partial, but those are Greek manuscripts. But let's go back to the Hebrew. We have a similar situation in Hebrew. Uh, when our grandparents were born, our oldest Hebrew text that was the basis for our Old Testament was uh, Codex Leningrad. Now it would have been called Codex Leningrad at the time. Because the city of Leningrad wouldn't have been named Leningrad until well, yeah, for my grandparents. Were. Well, whatever. Uh, but there's a codex that is now Chase known. Chase that as, rabbit, Scott. Yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Uh, There's a codex now known as Codex Leningrad from about 1009 or 4 A.D. Excellent manuscript, beautiful manuscript of the Hebrew Old Testament, done by the Masorites who were very careful scribes. And that was the basis for our Old Testaments. Well, they copied, the Masoretes copied very, very, very carefully, but they're copying copies. And um, in the 1940s, we found copies of the Old Testament books from before the time of Christ. Dead Sea Scrolls, so right? Go
1: ahead. Dead Sea Scrolls, right? Yes,
2: yes. Now, the Dead Sea Scrolls also include, and this is what got most of the press, Other books that are not in the Bible that were sectarian scrolls of this sect. we're not talking about those. We're talking about that in their library, they also had the books of the Hebrew Old Testament. And in those books, now, there's not, you know, there's, there's a limited number of them. Like we've got Psalm 22 just once, you know, in there. Well, in the Masoretic text, you might have later lots of handwritten scrolls, so you You might might have a bunch of You might have many copies of that. Yeah, yeah. But to see the value of the earlier one, let's look at Psalm 145. Now, Psalm 145 is an acrostic psalm. What do we mean by an acrostic psalm? Uh, It might be that each verse begins with a successive letter of the alphabet. Maybe verse one would begin with Aleph and in verse two with Beth and so on. Yeah, uh, and if you want to see an example in your own Bible of necrostic acrostic psalm, the most famous one would be Psalm 119. And the first eight verses all begin with an olive. The next several verses all begin with Beth. The next one's uh, et cetera, et cetera, uh, Gimel, and then Dele. So it's kind of like A, B, C, D, et cetera. Well, Psalm 145 each verse starts with one. So verse one is the Aleph, or A verse. Verse two is the Beth, bet, bet or B verse. Uh, verse three is the Geth, and then the verse four, Deh, etc. Now, here's the tricky thing about it. If you've got a King James Bible or, or another Bible that's based on Codex Leningrad, you've only got 21 verses here. Now, there's a problem with that because how many letters in the Hebrew alphabet?
1: 22, 20. right?
2: 22, so here's an across, so there's no in, in the King James Bible, there's the inverse is missing, so imagine if you're at a yard sale, and you pick up for your child or grandchild, an alphabet book, it says A is for apple, B is for bear, C is for cat, B is for dog, etc., you're flipping through the book, and you get to L is for lion, M is for monkey, O is for octopus, What happened to that book?
1: It lost a page at some point. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's missing the end, isn't it? Well, this was missing the end. Well, guess what? When they found an old manuscript from before the time of Christ in the Hebrew of Psalm 145, guess what it has? It's got the end. It's got the end verse, which if you have an ESV, they now put it in verse 13. In the ESV, you'll notice verse 13 is now twice as long as all the other verses. You see that if you're in the ESV? Mm -hmm. Okay, and it's in brackets. What psalm are you in? Psalm 145. Oh, okay. okay. So, uh, verse 1 is the A verse. Verse 2 is the B verse. You get down to verse 13. There's the M verse. In Hebrew, it starts with an M. And then the second part of the verse 13... There's the inverse. It's been added in. And you know what? The Septuagint had it all along. The Septuagint, which was translated from Hebrew to Greek before the time of Christ, it has the inverse, but not in Hebrew and Greek. So it probably doesn't begin with the N. But the translation of it is there. Okay, just to clarify, you're in Psalm 145. That's right. And you look at verse 13. Right. And you're saying the New American Standard includes what would begin the with the New end? in? The ESV. Oh, the ESV. Okay, okay. I was looking at my New American Standard, and I didn't see it. So. Yeah, it may not have it. Yeah, uh, in my,
0: in my, uh, Scott, in my ESV, it's got the extra uh, line, but it's got it in brackets as well, then with a little footnote saying that this is from earlier manuscripts.
2: Yes, but, exactly. but, that, but that illustrates the, the value of going back to the older manuscripts, at least exactly. giving some credence to where there is a difference. And yeah. So, and it shows, it shows, and it matches what other early translations had. The Syriac had this verse. The Greek Septuagint had this verse, but the Hebrew had lost it. Now, interestingly, I'll throw this in. I want to comment. The rabbis, kind of like the King James only people, they came up with a reason why the inverse was missing. Why? There's a word related to sin, I don't remember which one, that begins with N. And so the rabbi said, oh, God meant it to be this way. The N versus many missing because such and such word begins with an N. Well, then why does Psalm 119 have an N verse? Right, and all means,
1: cost go, Psalms. go ahead, yeah.
2: So, so what we've done so far is we've been especially talking about the kind of the philosophical debate between putting more credence on a majority of manuscripts that have a certain reading, even though they're late. So what you yeah. see, maybe you don't have it on screen. Let me share the screen again. Um, these manuscripts that come from this part in the blue oval there or giving credence to the oldest manuscripts when they say something a little different than the so-called majority. So that's one point. Yeah. But then there's something else that we need to pay attention to, and that is that the, the, the King James doesn't actually always follow the, these manuscripts that we're talking about from this period. Scott. And this is the point you were getting at a moment ago, Scott. And just to give some examples, here is a comparison of the King James Version and the English Standard Version in 1 John chapter 5. They start out, uh, this is He that came by water and blood, or this is He who came by water and blood, and they're very, they're it's just a difference in a slight difference in translation, but they have the same message, the same substance, the same content, until you get down to the words in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one, and there are three that bear witness in the earth, and you don't see that in the English Standard Version. That is because. Those words are found only in four Greek manuscripts, one from the 16th century, one from the 12th century, and in that manuscript, it was just written in the margin, one from either the 14th or the 15th century. Now, remember, when we say the 16th century, the King James translation was made in the very very beginning of what translation? I mean, what century? 17th. 17th. So if you've got... And Erasmus did his text that it was based on in, in, in the 16th century. 16th century. <laughs> yeah. And so now we've got manuscripts being made, people sitting down and writing handwritten copies of the scriptures in the same century, uh, in this yes. case, this first one, where Erasmus is, is creating his Greek text for printing. And then the King James is going to be translated in the next century Well, there's one Greek manuscript from the 16th century that has these words, one from the 12th century, and in that instance, the words are in the margin, which means that the scribe apparently didn't think they were necessarily legitimately a part of the text, one manuscript that may be from the 14th or 15th century, and then one manuscript that goes back to the 11th century, but these words are only included in a marginal note that was added in the 17th century, the same century that the King James Version was made. Hmm. So the point is so if I want to go by the majority text, you don't have these words. These words aren't in the oldest, they're not in the majority of manuscripts, but they are in the King James Version. Right. We'll tell you why in just a second, but let me give you another example. We know from oh, yeah. from Acts chapter, we know from, there are three accounts of, of Act of Saul's conversion. In one of the accounts, you do have the words, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks or to kick against the goat. The King James has those words in Acts chapter nine, but they're not found in the ancient manuscripts, nor in the majority of the manuscripts in Acts chapter nine. And so in the English standard version at Acts chapter nine, you don't have those words. Uh, So far as is known, this is Bruce Metzger saying this, no Greek witness reads these words. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks in this place in Acts nine. So again, The King James has a reading that is not in the majority of manuscripts. It's not in any of the Greek manuscripts. And one more I'll throw out. Well, I I won't throw out one more. I I thought I had another one there. Oh, by the way, that Mm -hmm. phrase is in Acts 22
0: Yeah,
2: in the old manuscripts and the newer ones and the majority ones, but not in Acts one. So maybe
0: that's why the scribes took it out of 22 and they decided to insert it. Yeah.
2: You mentioned, Scott, earlier that Erasmus did not have a uh, book of Revelation that included the last page, and so he t- went to the Latin Vulgate and translated back into Greek. Well, that resulted in something interesting, because the Latin Vulgate referred to the book of life where the Greek manuscripts refer to the tree of life. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 19, If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life. But King James says from the book of life, and that's not in the Greek manuscripts, but all of these things, the kicking against the goat, I believe in all these cases, what they're doing, what we're seeing is the King James is, is taking its cues from the Latin Vulgate. And so now you have what's called yep. the received text or the Textus Receptus, which is a, a Greek text, not a Greek manuscript but, a, but a, a putting together of, of a Greek text based on Greek manuscripts and based on the Latin Vulgate. And so you end up with readings that aren't in a minority or a majority or in some cases in any of the Greek manuscripts, Right. but they're in the King James Version.
1: So that's, right. Stephen,
2: going back to your point earlier. Some people are majority text advocates. Some people are received text advocates. Whatever the King, King James says, the Greek text behind that is the right Well. That, that in, in some instances, is a very small number of late manuscripts. And the majority text people are going to have to disagree with the King James at some places. And then you've got the people who are just King James in English only. That's it. Whatever it says in English, that's it.
1: Here. So I, I've only had one conversation with someone who was a King James only advocate. And I hadn't done a lot of research on that at the time. And uh, I believe that with what we're talking about, he was big on the Texas Receptus. Mm -hmm. He really did not like anything, any more modern Greek text uh, than the Texas Receptus. And so we talked about it, and I didn't know a lot of technical things. But I, what I asked him to do, I said, I'm using an English standard version here, and it's based on more modern Greek manuscripts. Um, excuse me, not more modern, but more modern Greek text for, that uses older manuscripts. Yeah, more ancient manuscripts. You've got a King James version there that's based on the Texas Receptus. His big thing was the text has been corrupted. It's been corrupted. It's been corrupted. There's been all these things taken out. There's been all these things messed up. And all I did was I said, I've got an English standard version. You've got a King James version. Show me one place where the text has been corrupted. If it was corrupted in the Greek, then it'll show up in our English translation. Show me one place where the text has been corrupted. And he dodged the question. And I just, and and I said, just show me one place, show me one place in the English Bible where it's been corrupted. And like, he wouldn't, he wouldn't answer. And finally I said, listen, like, I, I realize you're, you're appealing to me, but if this is actually a problem, if the King James is the only legitimate translation well, show me why these other translations are, are not right. And he finally showed me one place. I think it was in first Timothy where the King James said Christ and the English standard version said, he referring <laughs> yes. to Christ. So, and it was like, wow, at the end of the day, some people are really, really vehement about the King James is the only real version. But when we just boil it down, there's not a lot of big differences. And the King James... James not is, a lot of is, King James is a there's good translation in its own right. But to say it's the only good one, it is hard to defend.
2: Years ago, there was an article in Truth Magazine Attacking the New International Version, which on another day, maybe we can talk about. There are some weaknesses with the NIV. It's not as literal a translation as I would prefer. It does do some paraphrasing, and sometimes they in interject their Calvinism and throw in an extra word that's not there that gives a Calvinist meaning. I, I wouldn't recommend the NIV uh, for a study Bible. But this article, it used some approaches that were just really, really sad. Um, It said it talked about, I think, the 33 maybe was times that the NIV took Jesus out of the Bible. This goes back to an old tract. All these new Bibles, they took Jesus out of the Bible. This comes back to what Jeff pointed out about the the, the later manuscripts were a fuller text. And to illustrate, let's suppose Drew is a scribe. Okay. Drew is a scribe in the year 800 or 900 or 1,000. And you've got two manuscripts in front of you You of the book that you are translating. One of them says Jesus. The other one says Christ. How might you write that in your new copy? Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. And so the text kind of got fuller uh, along that line. So the older manuscripts will sometimes just say Jesus or sometimes just say Christ, where in the latter manuscripts it'll say Jesus Christ. Well, going back to the older manuscripts, that means sometimes where the king, where the later manuscripts said Jesus Christ, the early ones just said Christ. So if you're representing the earlier reading, it's going to say Christ. And then the complaint is, they took Jesus, Jesus out of the Bible. Of the Bible. <laughs> you know, the same book can have Jesus over and over and over and over. But there are some times, e- even in the King James, where a verse says Christ, but it doesn't have if they were oh, trying Jesus. and that's okay so and it went on and it gave, go ahead so to make,
1: go ahead Stephen if they were trying to take Jesus out of the Bible they didn't do a very good job
2: back and make the point Stephen was making kind of graphically here if the King James is based on these manuscripts and modern translations go back and take into consideration these ancient manuscripts. And then somebody wants to argue, well, corruption is the problem. The manuscripts have been corrupted. You just take a modern translation and you're looking at something that takes into consideration these manuscripts. So you look at King James, you're taking into, the, into consideration these manuscripts, and then you compare the two, just like you were saying, Stephen. And the difference shows you how much corruption there's been from there to there. And that difference is not much. As you look at the version and you look at your English standard version, the difference is not in the underlying Greek text for the most part. The difference is in just the English style, the style of language that you're reading. So let's
0: get back to the original question here and then continue your thoughts. But the original question was, is the King James Version superior? And the, the answer what I'm hearing from you guys is that there's really not one translation that is superior,
2: wouldn't you say? Is that what you're saying? There are some that are better at one thing than another. In, in, uh, terms, of, in terms of translation, see, we've got two different issues here. What we've been talking about is what are you translating? What manuscript are yeah. you translating? And then there's the question of how well do you translate them? The King James does a pretty good job of translating what it's translating but here when we're talking about what you're translating i would argue that the modern translations are actually better than the king james they have more evidence and older evidence than the king james does but even in king anything james,
0: and in between those translations all the translations the translations are not really contradicting each other in the principle right. of the message anyway
1: right and that's the bottom line is we can trust our english bibles But we can trust more than just the King James Bible. We have other good translations that have other strengths. And it's a blessing that in English, we have so many different English translations to compare. Going back to Scott's analogy at the beginning of the program, I know we're out of time here. Uh, You know, if you want to understand what your father wrote in that French letter, you'd like to have some different uh, guys translate that. And so what we have in English is... Uh, a great witness to the word of God.
2: In the day of judgment, you're not going to have to tell the, the Lord who stands in judge of you whether Jesus said "He who hath ears to hear" or simply said "He who hath ears." That's not going to make the difference between those who go to heaven and those who go to hell. And they all say, "You shall not steal," except for one edition of the King James in the 1700s, where the printer made a mistake. And it said, oh, it was adultery. And the Ten Commandments said, you shall commit adultery. Don't do that. For which he lost his job and was thrown into the Tower of (laughs) London.
0: Guys, we are past our time. I want to thank you for all your input and uh, the fine work you guys have been doing on translations and the ancient manuscripts. Appreciate it. Um, uh, If anybody in the program wants to review this, this will be up on the website for reviewing we said, a lot of technical and detailed stuff. It'll be on BibleQuest.tv. If you're just listening through the podcast, um, from the recordings, you want to see what those charts were that uh, Jeff put up, again, go to BibleQuest.tv, and you can see the full video recordings there. Guys, thank you very much. I appreciate it, and look forward to seeing everybody next week. Thanks. did you have one last thing you wanted to say? No? Scott, you didn't have one last thing? Okay, good. Guys, good seeing everybody.
2: I was just waiting. Bye-bye.